Hello, everyone, and welcome to Close Readings. Uh, I'm your host, Kamran Javadizadeh, and um, I'm really happy today to be talking to my friend Sarah Osmond um, about uh, a poet, um, David Berman, who uh, has meant a lot to me in lots of ways, as I'll bet he has to many of you listening now, and as I know he has um, to Sarah. Um, the, the poem that Sarah has chosen for us to think about today is called Governors on Somanax. And um, as always, there will be a link um, in the episode notes so that you can look at the poem if you'd like to look at it. Um, we have the good fortune to have a recording of David Berman uh, reading the poem. So in a few minutes, we will, um, we will get to listen to him read the poem. Um, and, um, and, and so I, I look forward to that. And I think um, Sarah was the one who had um, um, alerted me to that link. Um, so I'm very, um, very grateful to her for getting to share it with you here. Um, let me tell you more about Sarah before we get to David Berman. Um, Sarah Osment works in the writing program at the University of Chicago, where she teaches cor- courses in media aesthetics. Um, she also works as um, an editor and indexer of academic books and probably other kinds of books too. It's the, it's the academic books that I um, know about because um, I have to say, I can attest to um, the excellence of Sarah's work. She's um, <laughs> helped me with an index and, um, and with other kinds of editorial work. And I'm, um, I'm just really devoted to her attention in that way. Um, but let me tell you more about her now. Um, since earning her PhD in English from Brown University in 2016, um, she's devoted her intellectual energy to public-facing projects. And I can tell you about two of them in particular, which um, are maybe particularly relevant to the conversation we'll be having today. So um, she's the co-founder of Hyped on Melancholy, which is an online magazine um, that features smart words about sad songs and why we cleave to them. Um, And um, I'm a big fan of Hyped on Melancholy, and I'm going to talk about it a little more in a minute. But um, even more relevant to the conversation that we'll be having today, Sarah is the co-editor with David Herring of a recent cluster Um, of essays which were published at Post 45 um, on the poetry and music of David Berman. So as um, Sarah will, as we'll talk about in a minute or two, you know, David Berman was was a poet, recently passed away, um, but was a poet, um, but was um, perhaps, um, I'm probably no perhaps about it, even more well-known as a musician. Um, So um, David Berman um, was the lyricist and the sort of leading figure in the band, the Silver Jews. And, um, and that's something that uh, we will, we will surely want to talk about here. Um, The, the cluster of essays in post 45, um, which I think were, were sort of prompted by at least in the first place by, Um, a kind of effusion of feeling that many of us who are devoted to Berman's art felt upon hearing of his um, untimely death. And then as Sarah and David um, describe in their introduction to the essays, um, that 
in that moment, as they sort of looked around, they realized, you know, there isn't, there hasn't really been a place where, you know, there's been lots of writing on Berman's music for sure, and also some on his poetry, but but there really hasn't been a place that has sort of thought about his artistic production taken all as um, one kind of um, of. And um, and so there's a real need to produce it. And and Sarah and David have collected essays from um, really fine scholars and critics. Um, and in one case, um, a, a friend and bandmate of, of Berman's as well. Um, some previous podcast, previous and future podcast guests, I should say, um, <laughs> are among the roster of um, contributors to that um, to that cluster of essays. Um, here's something that um, Sarah and David say in their introduction. Um, so this is a quotation: Berman often found sublimity in the mundane. His work offers the kind of cracked sincerity that marks contemporary art at its best. I love that cracked sincerity is just perfect. It's just a perfect phrase for describing what is so special about um, the experience of listening to a song uh, by David Berman or reading um, a poem like the one we're going to talk about today. Um, Sarah um, and and David talk in that um, introduction about how uh, Berman was kind of a poet of, um, and this is another quote, a world in disrepair. Um, And hyped on melancholy Sarah um, is not only um, one of the co-editors and founders of that um, magazine, but contributed an essay to the first, I think it was the first number in it. Um, Her essay is on the Wilson Phillips song, Hold On. Um, But it's on so much more than that, um, too. It's it's an essay that's uh, just incredibly moving, and I'll I'll offer a link to it um, as well. It's an essay that's about car rides that Sarah took as a child with her mother, um, the, it's an essay that's about being, um, and this is another phrase of Sarah's, about being held by pop, um, what that feels like, um, what what goes into that and what it means. It's an essay about Nico Case's citation of the Wilson Phillips song, we think, or Sarah thinks, and seems plausible to me. Um, and above all, it's about um, what Sarah calls the brutal archive of messy attachment that she hears, um, this is, and Sarah's sort of citing and um, riffing on um, Lauren Berlant's cruel optimism. Um, the, the, um, the brutal archive of messy attachment that Sarah hears in the song itself. Um, she ends that essay, or this isn't, these aren't the very last words of the essay, but it's just um, a, a sentence so beautiful that I had to write it down and I want to read it to you. Um, she ends with this, which I, I just find an incredibly moving account of what it's like to live with a song. Um, quote, there is something wholly melancholic about returning to a song with this kind of renewed clarity. So, you know, sorry, this is me now. But, um, you know, one thing Sarah is doing in this, in this essay is to sort of think about what it was like to listen to the song as a little girl and to have it mean one thing to her and then to hear it again as an adult. And to start thinking with all of the um, apparatus that an adult has at her disposal, Lauren Berlant, Nico Case, whatever else, about how the song has changed for her over time. So, okay, I'm going to go back to what she says here. There's something wholly melancholic about returning to a song with this kind of renewed clarity. 
unlike the mourner who successfully grieves her lost love object, the melancholic finds pleasure in casting that loss inward so that holding on starts to feel like being held. Um, that's so great. <laughs> it's great. Made me want to cry too. Makes me want to cry right now to read it out loud. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to start on a terribly melancholy note, but um, Sarah, um, Osment, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Well, I'm on the verge of tears, but <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm You have very, only very yourself to blame. To That's right. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to be here and, and very moved by your introduction. Thank you for both. Well, thank you for being here. And, um, you know, I, I, um, you were one of the people where like before even the podcast launched, I think, you know, we had exchanges on Twitter or wherever else about like, um, Oh, well, you'll have to be on. So start thinking of a, of a poem <laughs> or a poet. Um, and you know, life got complicated. And so it's taken us a little while to arrange for the conversation, um, when you told me that you were thinking of David Berman, um, I having, well, like there's, there aren't many people whose musical tastes I, um, value more than yours. Um, <laughs> and then having read the cluster of essays, you know, I, I thought, oh, well, this is wonderful. Like wh- what, what, you know, what could be better than this? So, so I guess, you know, as in the spirit of this podcast, I like not to assume that our listeners um, share, you know, particular reading histories or tastes or whatever. So, um, you know, for, for me and maybe for you, Sarah, like David Berman's poetry, like um, showed up, on our consciousness with a certain set of associations perhaps already in place, but maybe that's mm-hmm. not true for people who are listening to the podcast right now. So mm-hmm. could you tell us a little bit about who David Berman was and maybe about like how you came to care about David Berman's art? Um, yeah. Whether his music or his poetry or, and I know he did other things too. So uh, mm-hmm. any, any other aspects of his art, what should we know about him? Yeah, so he, um, Berman was, um, as you established in the introduction, both a poet and a musician. Um, He was also a cartoonist. He was very Mm -hmm. prolific in various media. And we can talk about like, Mm -hmm. if and how we should think about that as a continuous project. Um, He, as you, I think, noted in the introduction as well, he's most famous for um, being the front man in a band called Silver Jews um, with um, two friends of his, uh, Stephen Malcolmus and Bob Nastanovich, although others joined the band later. Those are the sort of core three. Um, They were a really important um, band in the 90s alt indie rock. Um, You know, people describe their sound differently. Sometimes it verges on... um, honky tonk like you know it's sort of like drawing from lots of americana influences but absolutely in the kind of 90s uh indie rock scene and Mm -hmm. um so they were um but what's important i think to know about them is that they had incredibly devoted fans but they didn't tour very much and they were also kind of i think in many ways like the the I mean, so 
they were related to pavement because of Stephen <laughs> Malcolmus and right. Bob Nastanovich, um, but they were not at all as well known as pavement was. They didn't tour. They didn't, you know, like they weren't on MTV, you know? Like, right. Um, and right. so um, they, I think the people who, got me into them. I mean, one of the allures, I can't speak for everybody, but the the thing that was sort of compelling for me is like a person who as a young, younger person than a teenager, like kind of consistently for various reasons, hung out with people like four or five years older than me, always kind of like aspired towards their tastes and their senses of humor. And, you know, like, um, they passed all of that generously down to me. I don't know why they put up with me, but they did. Uh-huh. Um, and so like I got pavement through, through those people. Right. And, yeah. and, and um, I remember getting a, a silver Jews. I can't actually remember which one it is. And I've been trying to remember, but mm. uh, a silver juice CD mm-hmm. from a friend's older brother um, and thinking, Oh my God, this is like pavement extended universe, you know, yeah, like, right. which is very unfair <laughs> to silver Jews because they're their own thing and they have their own brilliance. But I mean, Malcolmus does like sing on a lot of the songs. And so, and again, they're all friends. And so it just felt like this extension of this kind of cool, you know, to me, like vaguely, you know, unknown thing. I mean, again, mm-hmm. Most and the people fact of the like the fact of the not touring maybe made it yeah. seem more kind of secret or yeah, and private, it's like you know, you know we're you know mid mid nineties like uh, we're or like mid to late nineties was a very different moment with the sure. internet. You know, you yeah. couldn't just look up a band and get their discography immediately. You couldn't find out, you know, the whole history of things you had to kind of like work. And, you know, I mean, I think some people like fetishized some of that too much, but the sort of pre-internet fandom, but it, it did at the time feel like, you know, this, like this, this object that helped me like unlock a little bit more of the world. Like it just felt like oh how cool like it felt a little bit like a sec- an open secret i guess right. you know right um and so I, I i came to berman's work through the music and then when i was older and started studying poetry in college um a friend another friend's older brother <laughs> gave me actual air um and i didn't actually which is the i don't know if we've said this have we oh, that yeah, is sorry. the title of his of his one book of of poems yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, which is, I believe I should know this. Um, 99. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Came out in 99. Um, and Berman was born in 67. Mm-hmm. So he was, well, I don't know when in the year it came out, but whatever. He was in his early thirties, let's say when that book was published. Okay. He was. Yeah. And yeah. he'd been writing poetry since he was um, a teenager, um, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Um, and as early as like 1819 was already being recognized um, as a college freshman by people like James Tate. Like they were right. already like, wow, this kid's got something. Right. Um, so there's something interesting to me. I mean, we can talk about this later, but part of the sure. question about, you know, 
his unusual talent or, or how, how we can think about him as a musician mm-hmm. and a songwriter and as a poet and whether those things are comparable. Um, right. I, I, I kind of want to insist on like, I mean, it's one thing to say that his song lyrics are poetic and, and I think right. that's, I understand, I think what people mean by that, but um, he was also like a poet's poet, you know, like right. mm-hmm. people, pretty quickly, like, um, I think people that studied that he studied under recognized this voice, um, that wasn't, um, you know, fully developed yet, but was like, I think probably kind of, I mean, I don't know, you know, more poets than I do, but, but, um, and, and probably more personally than I do, but it seems to me to be kind of a rare thing. Hmm. to be like 18 and already like yeah kind of under the wing of 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 someone as brilliant as james tate you know yeah and you and Um, you hear you can hear the um i mean it's funny i I don't know berman's like i don't know the story well enough to know like what's influence and what's just um a kind of you know serendipitous um overlap of sensibilities you know but you like it makes sense that he and James Tate would have had a, an important relationship that they would have gotten along. Um, James Tate's not a poet that we've covered here yet on the podcast, but we should do an episode on, yeah. on Tate too. He's, he's <laughs> great. Right. Um, yeah. So I think um, as I understand the story, Berman took like studied with Tate at UMass Amherst. Right. And um, yeah. So he, he yeah. studied poetry initially at, um, University of Virginia, and then right. um, did his MFA at UMass Amherst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, and the, you know, the question, um, like, we should talk about this, I guess. Once we have, um, I mean, I don't want to um, get totally waylaid by these, um, albeit very fascinating questions about, you know, the relationship of song lyrics and um, to poetry and so on. But I think what I'm hearing you say, Sarah, and I want you to tell me if I've if I've got it right, is that on the one hand, you are committed to this idea that there is a real kind of sense of continuity between the different media that Berman worked in. Um, so like, and it would be interesting maybe later in this conversation or now or whatever to hear more from you about um, what the signs are to you of that continuity? Like, you know, what, mm. what would it mean for instance, to look at, I mean, let's pick things that are even further apart to look at a drawing and then to listen to a song and to think, Oh, it makes sense to me that the same person made those two things. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's, mm-hmm. there's a, a shared set of interests or a way of looking at the world or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe what we're describing here is a kind of style that can exist mm-hmm. beyond, um, beyond, you know, um, beyond the confines of a particular medium. So on the one hand, you're hearing that continuity and you seem sort of committed to describing Berman on those, along those terms. But on the other hand, I think you're, I'm also hearing you want to sort of insist that like his songs are his songs and his poems are his poems and his, his songs may be poetic, but we shouldn't just think we could like print out the lyrics to a song and have another David Berman poem. Like we'd be making a kind of category mistake if we were to do that. I think so. And like, you know, I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking of like who 
we sort of who else we think about in that way and Almost no one. (laughs) Well, yeah. And so I'm trying to think of like examples that annoy me, right? Like when Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, a poet. Exactly. Right. I'm like, and I, whatever, I don't have a, like, I I don't have a horse in the Bob Dylan race. Oh, I do. I'm happy to talk about Dylan. (laughs) But, but, but I, but I don't, I mean, to call him a poet seems to misunderstand what lyrics are and what poems are. And again, what songs are not just lyrics, but like songs. Right. (laughs) And and there is a shared, I think there is a, they, they, there is a, it is a continuous project, but I do think there is something important about medium specificity here. Right. Um, You know? Yeah. Yeah, I can't let the moment pass because I feel like this is the first time we've mentioned Bob Dylan in and like or I have on any of these podcast episodes and I don't want to give people the wrong impression. I love Bob Dylan. I'm like mm. a total nerd. Um I mean he's maybe my truest musical, like oldest and deepest musical love. Um but yeah, I don't think the songs are poems. I think they're poetic. Right. I don't I didn't even particularly mind like I don't mind, you know, we don't have to talk about the whole Nobel prize thing, which is silly, maybe in like five different ways, but um, I don't mind thinking of songs as literature either necessarily. Um, Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. Now, I don't know. You looked skeptical. So now maybe I'm second guessing this, but, um, but I don't think they're songs. Dylan also did like write poems, but I don't think they're good. (laughs) You know? Right. I mean, he wrote things that he called poems. Yeah. He has probably still is. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, again, the question is so good. And I think we could spend the next like eight hours working through it. And I mean, I guess, but anyway, what you're hearing, you're hearing ambivalence from me and that's correct, which is, yeah, I think (laughs) they are a continuous project. And I think it would be strange to call his songs poems or his poems song lyrics. Like I I think, Um, and maybe that's just because of the kind of, the divided attention that they've received, like the indie rock yeah. people know the songs, the poets and, and, you know, a very select few of academics, like know right. the poetry and right. never the twain shall meet. So like part right. of my That's insistence We're the in twain. the introduction, <laughs> yeah. Part of my insistence in the introduction to the post 45 thing is to be like, look, these two conversations are happening what does it mean to kind of think about them side by side while still trying to preserve, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the, the kinds of things that come up around, you know, conversations in indie rock and conversations around like, oh, you know, right. contemporary, like poetry at UMass. So yeah, I mean, it's not just in other words that like formally speaking or intrinsically somehow songs are different from poems, but it's also like these songs and these poems have particular histories that like they've been circulated in and received by certain communities of listeners or readers and fellow practitioners. And to elide the difference between them is to disregard that those interesting histories in some way. Um, Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I think also like, I mean, not to talk about this too much longer, but like um, the, um, how do I want to put this? Um, Oh shoot! I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, um, maybe you, I, be, I, be, I bet it'll come back to you. But so let me say, as you um, mull, um, 
that um, well, it's it's it, if for people who've never listened to the Silver Jews and after today's conversation want to do that um, or to listen to, he put out one more album um, right at the end of his life, which was in uh, um, Purple Mountains. Am I? Yeah, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's it's as easy as a as a quick um, Google search, you know, or you know, look on Spotify or whatever, and, and you'll find um, all of those albums. Um, but I'll make that even easier for you and and link somewhere to um, to Berman's musical output. Sarah, um, did you remember the thing you wanted to say? I did. I did. So all right, let's hear it. I was going to say just like yeah, the the histories are particular and they're I think important to the works. I did want to kind of add a caveat, which is that, and it reminded me of something that um, Bob Nastanovich said when we were talking um, about Mm -hmm. uh, his contribution to the post 45 cluster, which was like, he felt like, and it was a surprising thing for him to hear him say, but he felt like um, what was important for, them in that moment was that they weren't part of a scene that they didn't seem, they seemed like misfits. Uh, They didn't belong to any particular scene, which is surprising if you know anything about pavement or silver Jews or well, Oldham or any of the music that comes out of UVA or like, you know, after a scene kind of grew around them. So I just wanted to add that because it seems like those specificities matter. And yet, um, I guess maybe there's something about the work that maybe yeah. doesn't depend on like, you know, insular knowledge, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. I mean, I guess the whole sort of like, um, I mean, many scenes and subcultures can feel this way, but I know that indie rock can feel maybe particularly to outsiders like, um, Oh, I'm not cool enough to know who that band is or like, I right. like the wrong music or whatever. Um, So it's, it's interesting and gratifying in a way to hear that at least these particular musicians didn't, didn't themselves think in those terms. Um, Okay. So um, I think um, I, I, I mean, this is a very interesting conversation. I, we could just go on talking about like music and, you know, um, poetry in general way, but we're here to talk about a particular poem. And so I think um, let's listen to it. Um, uh, The, um, this is a clip you can find on YouTube. I mean, it's just um, audio, so um, but um, I'll you know we can make that link available too. Berman um, says a couple of words before he begins reading the poem, um, and then he reads the poem. So we'll listen to Berman read, and then we'll we'll talk about it. So um, here's um, David Berman reading Governors on Samanex. Two days ago. I was at a party where the daughter of the governor of Wisconsin was in attendance. This is no lie. So I feel like I'm going to read this poem, which is called Governors on Salmonex. It had been four days of no weather, as if nature had conceded its genius to the indoors. They'd closed down the Bureau of Sad Endings, and my wife sat on the couch and read the paper out loud. The evening edition carried the magic death of a child, backlit by a construction site sunrise on its front page. I kept my back to her and fingered the items on the mantle. Souvenirs only reminded you of buying them. The moon hung solid over the boarded up hobby shop. PK was in precinct house using his one phone call to dedicate a song to Tammy, for she was the light by which he traveled into this and that. And out in the city, 
Out in the wide readership, his younger brother was kicking an ice bucket in the woods behind the Marriott. His younger brother, who was missing that part of the brain that allows you to make out with your pillow. Poor kid, it was the light in things that made him last. Tammy called her caseworker from a closed gas station to relay ideas unaligned with the world we loved. The tall grass bent in the wind like tachometer needles and he told her to hang in there, slowly repeating the number of the job info line. She hung up and glared at the Killbuck sweet shop. The words that had been running through her head, employees must, must wash hands before returning to work, kept repeating and the sky looked dead. Hedges formed the long limousine a Tampa sky could die behind. A sailor stood on the wharf with a clipper ship reflected on the skin of the bell pepper he held. He'd had mouthwash at the end and could still feel the ice blue carbon pinwheels spinning in his mouth. There were no new ways to understand the world, only new days to set our understandings against. Through the lanes came virgins in tennis shoes, their hair shining like videotape, singing us into a kind of sleep we hadn't tried yet. Each page was a new chance to understand the last, and somehow the sea was always there to make you feel stupid. All right, so... Um... David Berman, Governors on Salmonex. Um, Sarah, I always like to ask this question after we listen to a recording. Like, what did you find yourself thinking about as you were um, hearing Berman read? Um, well, the first, like the, you know, the most immediate thing that that struck me was just uh, his voice, mm-hmm. um, the depth of his voice, which I, I know very well, but always feels very distinctive to me um just the 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 sort of the grain of it as well yeah um and i like that he um i like the way that he prefaced the poem (laughs) Uh um you know um which is not with like a half joke right like it just like a little detail like oh i went to this weird party here's this like weird poem that's sort of connected you know like yeah they're not connected except they're not at all right because like the this is what, I mean, and maybe this is part of the kind of poetics, like the kind of poem this poem is. It's the yeah. kind of poem that has a title that feels like a MacGuffin or something, right? Like it's, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. I, I mean, um, so Somonex is a, a, a sleep aid, right? Or a drug that um, people take to help them sleep. And sleep does seem important to the poem and we can we can come back to that, but it's, it's like, it's like the, the the sort of happenstance of the word governors in the title of the poem and the fact that he's at this party. So I'm going to read this poem. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's something sort of like charming about that chance that seems, I think sort of important to his work overall. Um, But anyway, Yeah. yeah. yeah, it's, it's funny though, that the title, when I first, like when I, I, for the longest time when I read this poem, I didn't know what song I assumed Salmonex was a place. Yeah. I assumed it was like Camp David or something, you know, like seriously, I didn't know that it was a, it was a sleeping aid. And, um, so it changes the meaning of the word on, right? (laughs) It does. And it also like, it just, there's something really weird going. I mean, obviously there's a lot to say in this poem and we can get to it about like sort of, commodities and you know commercialized language and you know but um setting is also very very odd in this poem Mm. um the way setting is kind of barely established and then withheld and then we get a lot of narrative but like this the the sort of the space that we inhabit is very yeah still very strange to me so 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, there's so much there that's interesting to me, but, um, but I'm glad that you've, you've like put your finger on something that, um, I think was on my mind as I was reading this poem in preparation for our conversation, which is that it is like a story poem at, mm-hmm. or at least it feels like it. And maybe it doesn't feel too different for me. I don't know if my, if this is just, um, you know, I'm like predisposed to make this kind of association because of all the other things, you know, all the things we've been talking about before it, but mm-hmm. it, it, parts of it feel to me almost like they could be, it could be like, you know, in the way that like Dylan has like story songs, I don't know, mm-hmm. like Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts or something like that, mm-hmm. with, like characters mm-hmm. who have funny yeah. sounding names and mm-hmm. are involved in some kind of drama that as a reader, you're not really sure you understand, you know, mm-hmm. but um, so there's all of that to it. I want to come back to talk about setting, but maybe before we get to any of that, and mm-hmm. and maybe in particular for the benefit of people who don't happen to be able to look at the text as we talk about it, they've just heard the poem, but they're not looking at it. Um, Sarah, what seems important to you about like now? I mean, you've said something about what it sounds like to you, but what 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 seems important to you about the what it looks like on the page? Mm-hmm. Um, about you know maybe the way it's organized or the sort of um, how that helps you kind of get your arms around it to the extent that that's possible what what should what should we be picturing or or keeping in mind yeah so we've got um kind of four fairly equivalent parts the poem is in four parts um separated um by three asterisks Mm -hmm. um each and um you know the in terms of like you know the the it sounds like a prose poem but it's you know most of it's mm-hmm. in couplet i'm mean, not couplets but yeah most of it's um yeah much of it yeah is, in couplets right? mm-hmm. yeah um and then there are these lines that kind of are hanging out in the middle of nowhere to me yeah. at the end of each section and we can yeah. talk about that actually that's not true for the third section but that yeah. is true for sections one, two, and four that seem to be doing a kind of work that's different or potentially at odds with the narrative, the, oh, the sort of narrative work that you described, but yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. interesting. Like they're, um, you know, I know in the post 45 cluster, um, our friend Andrew Epstein has an essay about aphorisms in, um, Berman's work. And, um, as I recall, Andrew's mostly writing there about the, like the aphoristic style in the songs, but maybe he says something about the poems too, but that Berman is, is, is really good with these lines that sort of Mm -hmm. feel detachable and memorable and witty. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the first instance we get of that, and I was noticing this too, that is the the line that ends the first of the four sections is Mm -hmm. souvenirs only reminded you of buying them, Mm -hmm. which is just like such a great line. I know. I know. (laughs) Um, And, and, and then there are others, it was the light and things that made them last or, and somehow Mm -hmm. the sea was always there to make you feel stupid. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. So that's it. That's a useful um, way to think about the structure of the poem. Um, maybe, you know, as a kind of rough guide for ourselves and for our listeners, we can plan on sort of talking about 
the sections, you know, the four sections one at a time and then think about them all together in some way as we go as well. Maybe we could begin with the first one. So this one, you know, I when when you said what you said a moment ago about setting, I was thinking of um, the first two lines, though maybe you meant more than than just those, um, but maybe it's as good a place to begin as any. It had been four days of no weather as if nature had conceded its genius to the indoors. Um, I guess I'm um n- no weather is a funny <laughs> phrase <laughs> to mm-hmm. me and so i'm curious about you know what you make of like the um the the this weird kind of inverted relationship between the outdoors and the indoors or the mm-hmm. way that sort of sets up the kind of space within which or like the place that the poem happens in or is um, is um, taking place in um, uh, Sarah is there anything in those first couple lines that you'd want to talk about yeah I mean I mean I think it's it's such a strange I mean, it's it's funny first of all right because what is what is no weather <laughs> what is the absence of weather hmm. um, but it's also very disorienting because the first few lines, sorry, the first few words, it had been four days, were, are so precise mm-hmm. in locating us in a particular, maybe not a particular like day, but a kind of, you know, they're, they're giving us, they're sort of locating us temporally, but then sort of like refusing or disavowing the setting, right? So there's a sort of like offer and then withholding that's very playful and funny to me. Right. Um, yeah. I guess yeah. you could say like it had been four days of steady rain or something like right. that would be right. a more usual thing to say. Yeah. Um, right. And it, you know, it's one of the many, I think like moments where we're sort of set up narratively to expect something that is not given to us. Um, and um you know, we could talk about other moments like that later, yeah. but, but um, it's also, I think, important that like weather is something that is very sort of mundane and boring mm-hmm. um, and um, is what you read in the newspaper. Right. So there's a yeah. kind of like, or what you used to anyway. So um, what you make small talk about. Yeah. And so there's a kind of like, again, like sort of gesture, I think in some ways too, that, like journalistic language. I mean, later in the, you know, right. in the second, uh, in the th- second and third stanzas, the newspaper comes into play. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, there's this also like this kind of surreal, like, um, uh, reversal of expectation, right? No weather. Right. What does that mean? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess like, as, as um, as I'm um, as I'm thinking about the un- what's unusual about that phrase, um, I'm remembering how people will say. There's this like one idiomatic use of weather where they you know where people say you know oh we're we're about to get some weather, yeah. you know, and yeah, what they yeah. what they mean by that is like um, we're going to get a storm of some kind or some right like there's going to be something yeah. unusual happening in the weather. So to say, yeah. I think it's much less idiomatic to say of no weather or like to refer to the absence of that kind of thing, but that's what's happening here. Right. It's like, there's nothing yeah. happening outside. So everything's happening inside instead. And yeah. Right. And it's, yeah, that idiomatic, that sort of like 
turn on the idiomatic is is absolutely, I think, what's happening. And also, there's this sort of inside outside reversal, which um, you don't have the you don't have it. But he does this in the first. So this is Governors on Salmonex is the fourth poem, mm-hmm. an actual air in the first poem called Snow. Mm-hmm. He says, um, uh, sort of halfway through the poem, when it's snowing, the outdoors seem like a room. Yeah. Today, I traded hellos with my neighbor. Our voices hung close in the new acoustics. Um, and then he returns again to this image, a room with the walls blasted to shreds and falling. So again, it's like, you know, locating us, it's sort of interplay between outdoors and indoors is very... Mm-hmm. Um, is is like a reversal that he he sort of does throughout throughout this book, and I think mm-hmm. we're getting that here in this in the second line, right? As if yeah. nature had conceded its genius to the indoors. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and and then there's so that that's super and that's super interesting. That and that that um that's a poem I've I've I I know that I've read and and um. Um, and of course, I'm also thinking about like the just the title of the book, "Actual Air," yeah. right, as a way of sort yeah. of um, making material like it's actual air or something, right? It's or classic substantive, water, right? Sort of, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, th- th- but there, you know, th- there there are lots of like um, moments in that first section, that first of four mm-hmm. sections, that seem to like trade on this. Um, on or, or that seem to want to locate themselves on this kind of edge between like the idiomatic and the surreal or something. Mm-hmm. So for instance, mm-hmm. they'd close down the Bureau of Sad Endings. And mm-hmm. for people who aren't looking at it, that's like capital B, capital S, capital E, Bureau of Sad Endings, as though mm-hmm. it were a government office or something like that, right? Um, I'm So I'm noticing things like that. And then I'm also noticing like... Um, I guess we don't get it. I haven't looked in a systematic way, so I might be wrong about this, but just my memory is that, is it true that the only first person singular pronoun, the the only I we get is in that first stanza, that the rest of the poem feels like it's mostly in the third person? I think there's a we maybe somewhere, you know, the world we loved, stuff like that. But so so in in that first section anyway, we're, you know, there's an I, the I has a wife who's reading the newspaper out loud. And um, um, I, I, I don't know, you know, is that like, what kind of expectation is that setting up, Sarah? And why does that stuff never really come back? Like, what's going on there? Help me with that. Do, do you mean like the, the, the I and the we? Yeah, because suddenly we're, we're talking about PK and Tammy. Yeah. And that, in the or... first section of the poem, there's, there's an I, there's like, it's like a, I don't know. It's yeah. like a domestic scene or something. My wife yeah. sat on the couch and read the paper out loud. Yeah. And then we hear about what's in the paper, which is itself interesting, I guess. I kept my back to her and fingered the items on the mantle. Souvenirs only reminded you of buying them. I mean, if that was all you had, as you know, if like if you were if you if you fed that in <laughs> to whatever chat GPT or something and said, write the rest yeah. of a poem that begins this yeah. way. You know, yeah. you might expect it to be a kind of like drama between the eye and the wife, and it's like a suburban poem of some kind of marital whatever, you know, ennui. But but we totally swerve away from that. So I guess yeah. you know, I'm wondering, like, why begin or what do you? What thoughts do you have about that 
um, about that as a kind of establishing stanza, or not stanza, but section of the poem yeah. to begin with. From I mean, like a kind of narrative a, point of view or whatever. Yeah, it's such a good question. I, I think, I mean, so I think the the scene of domesticity and being indoors mm-hmm. with no weather is important, right? Um, but I think it's important also to the poem that we're um, thinking not just about the speaker mm-hmm. and his wife, but about them in relation to other people in this community. Mm, like I think yeah. there's something about, um, I mean, and this happens elsewhere and I'm not going to do a great job of accounting for it. Although um, uh, um, Marie Buck in um, our cluster has a wonderful mm. explanation of this um, accounting for speakers who like, are like not in poems, not in his mm. poems and suddenly show up narratively mm. or vice versa. Um, so this mm. to me feels just like um, it's, it's strange, right? Because you'd think, as you say, like we should sort of get to know these characters more sort of like who they are, what's going on, but immediately they're, they're jettisoned and they don't, return um all we get you know we end the poem with the you of course Mm um yeah i mean Mm -hmm. i don't it's like the there's there's a a kind of you know a speaker narrator figure who almost immediately gets like sort of swallowed up by the poem and then like the the story just gets told or something yeah Um, yeah but you say you say it's important to think of them in relation to like a broader or a a a world a, a social world that exists beyond them that what comes through through like the newspaper and the story it tells or yeah the the newspaper um the story it tells um it's it's what seems to me to happen like the the magic death of a child and we can think about like why that would yeah. magic yeah. but um that image seems to me more important and seems to kind of propel us into the next um and the news about closing down the Bureau of Set Endings, that news seems more important, narratively speaking, to this poem than um, the the I and the mm-hmm. speaker and the wife, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Should um, we say something about that great aphoristic line that ends the first section, souvenirs only remind only reminded <laughs> you of buying them? Like, yeah. Um, I, I assume that has something to do with you know, what you've been saying and what, what else you'd want to say about Berman's um, kind of fascination with like commodification and um, those kinds of issues. But, um, but also, you know, he, he strikes me as a, as a, a writer um, who um, is often thinking about nostalgia or it's sort of nostalgic forms of attachment or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what's, yeah. Like to, it's a it's a really clever line. I don't know mm-hmm. um, what what else should we what should, what what do you think about when you think about that line, Sarah? Yeah, it's clever. It's aphoristic, as Andrew Epstein's great essay teaches us. It's portable yeah. in the ways that aphorisms are. Um, it also seems to me to be 
at odds with what comes before it. I mean, there's huh. the line that before, you know, I kept my back to her and fingered the items on the mantle. Um, so we get the sort of narrative set up for like why this thought about souvenirs would occur to the speaker. Right. But, He's got his tchotchkes on the mantle or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. right. But it doesn't seem, <laughs> and, and I mean, this is an open question for me. And, and when I would post to you too, like, this and other lines that kind of the, the sort of more aphoristic lines are, are act a little bit like islands to me. They, they, yeah. they seemed in some ways to sort of work against the narrative um, yeah. emplacement that we're getting. I mean, again, right. the, the sort of question of setting is strange, but then we get these like hyper specific, you know, images of, you know, a, a wife reading a cat, on the sat on the couch reading the paper out loud we get to see what's in the paper you know right right uh, right we even get to like picture what's the photo that accompanies the story yeah and I, yet I, there are these yeah. like weird you know sorry but th- th- there are these like yeah, no. weird lines that just they seem to indicate that they're like conclusions to each like right section and yet right like they're right. not at all, all right almost um, like you'd expect um like a a couplet at the end of a Elizabethan sonnet or something like that to sort of sum up or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I haven't thought about whether this would work for the other examples of that, um, that feature. But in the first case, as you were talking about it, Sarah, what I was thinking about was like, well, maybe there's something kind of, um, meta or self-descriptive about that line because right, like a souvenir, Mm -hmm. what it's meant to do is to remind you of your trip to wherever, right? So it's like um, it's like a metonymic reminder of that trip, right? It's it's a little bit of the trip that takes you back to that place. Um, but if all you're remembering is like, oh, this was the gift shop in which I made that transaction, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Rather than like the the trip you know, like I slipped into the gift shop from like this wonderful trip to wherever. And I'm not remembering the trip. I'm only remembering the gift shop. Mm -hmm. Um, When I say it's meta, well, maybe like there's a sense in which the souvenirs have become detached from Mm -hmm. the trip of which they were a part and like which they were meant to represent. Mm -hmm. And the line too might feel like a kind of like, oh, it's meant, it, it's sort of in a place and has a kind of tone, which makes you think it, it ought to um, summarize as you put it, or like um, contain all in itself as a kind of metonym, um, the section to which it's been appended, but all, you know, but it's, it's become detached from that context. And so, mm-hmm. all, you know, like you're not supposed to look at a souvenir and say, Oh, there's a souvenir. Right. <laughs> You're supposed to say like, um, oh, there's Paris. Right. And and maybe yeah. maybe you're not supposed to look at an aphorism and say like aphorism. <laughs> you're supposed yeah. to say, um, uh, oh, here is the here is the wisdom that that conveys and the light it sheds on its, you know, whatever. You, you get the point. Yeah. 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 No, but I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think, yeah, the there is a meta um quality to these lines this one in particular because um yeah i think i think the poem i i, I mean i think 
the 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 poem knows that this is an easily detachable line. I mean, it knows yeah. it because it's literally like detached, right? It's it's on right. its 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 own line, um, and I think Berman also knows. I mean, not to like mm. <laughs> attribute too much to him, but like, um, fans of Berman's will often like comment, and this this happened like after you know in the wake of his death, they would just like tweet out these standalone lines either from his poems or his songs right. that are so moving and so aphoristic and had so much power. Um, you know, I mean, like you could read souvenirs only reminded you of buying them. That would be like an amazing tweet. Right. Right. Like, yes. Um, right. And, right. and so like, and you know, we don't need to, uh, please let's not talk about Twitter, but like <laughs> there is something about the exchangeability and portability of these yeah. lines that, the poem knows and is also sort of uneasy about yeah, um, because it's, because it's connected to this whole business of commodification, Samanex, right? Like right. stuff that's like easily exchangeable or sort right. of like, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, and it's not just, I mean, like, you know, one, one might say um, that what you're identifying as like, um, you know, plays well on Twitter is is also a, you know might might otherwise be described as like um lyric you know um that it's it's this sort of um suspended kind of self isolating sort of um decontextualizing moment or something now that, of Which, course that opens yeah. up this whole other can of worms but um no but yeah. i mean to get back to your yeah. original question like the the important point about the eye is to get to that it's a vehicle for that line right yeah, once we get yeah. to that line like the eye doesn't the eye and the wife don't really seem to matter anymore yeah or so they then don't we, come back at least right, right? so yeah we launch into this other story and um we probably we should try to speed ourselves up a little oh, bit yeah. if we can if we can <laughs> no no it's fine i mean i'm having the ball but um you know at some point um um, if we can bear it um we we launch into this narrative about um pk and tammy and i love this idea using his one phone call to dedicate a song to tammy is great there's something very like um touching about that but also kind of witty and it's like um it's 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 all i don't know tongue-in-cheek is the wrong word for it but it's all very kind of knowing or something it's like he's he's working within a kind of formula or, or some kind of generic expectation um, right so yeah i don't know um you know just to sarah look, like look at that second section of the poem um the um and 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 as we get into the story about tammy and pk like how much does it matter that we have a plot in mind or and and if it doesn't matter too much that we really understand what's happening between Tammy and PK and so on, then then okay, well then what does matter and why is there narrative anyway? Like, um, what are you yeah. seeing in the second stanza? Or it's not stanza. I keep calling them stanzas, but the second section. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that like there is a narrative here, it really has to do with Tammy, right? Like Tammy mm-hmm. is is our protagonist. So I think mm-hmm. that the second and third sections. Um, yeah. Um, and the third one, especially, I guess, right. Potentially the fourth, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I also love the, 
the detail about again we're we're getting a setting that setting is like municipal like he's in a precinct yeah. house right yeah good good he's using the the one phone call again the sort of like cliche but then there's right. the the reversal right he's not right. like calling to tell her he loves her or calling his lawyer lawyer right Right. he he's dedicating a song again there's this question of like like the newspaper there are these like media that sort of bind these people together right like so the radio becomes like this kind of um yeah uh, oh, but you're so right. Also, yeah, I mean, I so I had the silly thought about calling a lawyer, whatever, you know, I don't know, I've been watching too much Better Call Saul or something, but um, <laughs> uh, but, um uh, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to say more about that. Um, no. <laughs> but, um, but, but no, what you're, I mean, you, you're, you're so right that there's something going on here about like, oh, it's this like romantic gesture, but it's, it's, it's indirect and sort of, um, highly mediated you know? it's, it's indirect and highly mediated and yeah. tammy doesn't get to hear that she was the light by which he traveled into this and that because yeah. we do right, right. We, we are the ones that get to hear that she gets to hear the song that's dedicated to her hopefully she hears it we don't we don't get to know yeah incidentally there's a jens lechman song um uh-huh. called you are the light by which I travel into this and that. So there's like oh. a kind of afterlife of this poem. And it starts with a with a one phone call. So like he's oh. really building on on this on this image here. But sorry, and but um, and the chronology of that is the poem is first. The song is the poem is uh, first. Yeah. yeah the yeah. song is a um, an homage to it or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she's really important, I think. Um, but then again, like as soon as we get established with them, we're kicked out and now we're in the outskirts of the city again, back in the to the wide you know, readership. It's such a funny yeah, phrase yeah. Yeah. out yeah, in the wide again, readership, the, the wide readership. Are we, again, is this a diegetic readership? Are we talking about newspapers right. or is this like a meta? Of course, right. like, are we part of this world? Right. Obviously it's, it's probably both, but um, right. yeah. And then we get that great line about, you know, his younger brother was kicking an ice bucket. Again, it's not kicking a bucket. Kicking right? the bucket. <laughs> right. Kicking yeah. the bucket. Right. right. It's it's a sort of like turn on that. So in the woods yeah. behind the Marriott. His young yeah. Right. His younger brother who is missing that part of the brain that allows you to make out with your pillow. Poor kid. I don't know what to do with that stanza. <laughs> but I love I mean it's you know, it's yeah, I don't either. Except, I mean, I guess you know thematically, but this is not a totally satisfying answer. Like, um, it seems like throughout the poem, we're dealing with like intimacies that are strained or mm-hmm. incomplete, right? Mm-hmm. There's the husband. There's there's the wife reading the newspaper out loud, but the husband has his back turned to her. Mm-hmm. You know, PK sends a song out to Tammy, but is, is separated from her and their mm-hmm. intimacy is sort of strained. Mm-hmm. Um, and the younger brother is, is in, is in even worse shape. He can't do the kind of, <laughs> he, he can't, can't even simulate intimacy. He can't even, yeah, right. He can't even pretend. Um, and then, yeah. but then, okay. Then we got this, <clears throat> sorry, this other very, you know, like beautiful sounding um, kind of, romantic kind of line it was the light in things that made them last which sounds also sort of mm-hmm. 
paradoxical or what would that, you know, because we think, I don't know why, why do I say that's paradoxical? Because we think of light as sort of evanescent, not lasting mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, and it's another one of these portable yeah, lines, right? Like right. souvenirs, I mean, maybe a little less so and, and maybe not, not doesn't have that kind of meta quality, but it's not it's funny also, in the again, same way. Yeah. Yeah. It's hanging out by itself. It's of course like kind of it's it's obviously connected to um, what we learn about PK's love for Tammy that she doesn't right. learn. Um, she was the light by which she traveled into this and that. Mm-hmm. Even though this and that is so interesting, I could make an mm-hmm. argument for that last line of that section being meta, sort of, which is like, could you? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, there's a that like that that line seems to me to have to be sort of suffused with a kind of light, you know. Mm. I don't know. There's there's mm-hmm. something about like the kind of isolated lyric moment that makes it kind of enduring. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And I'm I'm not sure that I'm convincing myself even here, let alone you. <laughs> no, no, no. People, I, but, yeah. I, I I buy it. I yeah. buy it. I I think yeah. I mean, there's a way in which like the that the return of that image, it, even if it's a little different. Mm-hmm. suggests that it's a lasting one right ah, like we yeah. get the light in a, in a kind of second yeah i like that appearance i don't know <laughs> so but so but if so yeah. but if peak if pk uses his one phone call to call in a song tammy calls her caseworker in the third yeah. section yeah from a closed gas station to relay ideas unaligned with the world we loved so there's a we but but that right. seems sort of like um i don't know like a not a very personal we, just like a royal we or something, right? Um, yeah, I think that's right. Um, ten- Which again is so yeah. odd given the hyper specificity of like closed gas station, right? Or yeah. later like the yeah. sweet shop or, yeah. you know, like uh, th- there's uh, these moments. Um, I, I've, I keep saying this, but setting is so odd here. Like there's yeah. hyper specificity, but then there's this like attempt to like, like really put us somewhere specific and then like wrench us out of that space, like pretty quickly. Right. 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 Um, the, so. the, the, the line, the tall grass bent in the wind, like tachometer needles. Is, yeah. It's like a really nice image. Actually. I won't, yeah. I think I'll, it's the kind of thing where you think like, Oh, next time I see tall grass, bending in the wind i'm gonna think of tachometer you know like sorry so for people who don't know that term like that's the you know what it is it's the like little rpm dial on your car dashboard or something that you know that twists as you i'm gesturing here on my screen and nobody can see it you know what i mean um right okay and then there's this job info line so i don't know telephones have an interesting life in this poem Telephones and again, like sort of crumbling or not crumbling, but like waning bureaucracy, mm. right? Like yeah. people don't have jobs, but they have job info lines. Oh you man, know? Like, it just occurred to me the job info line is JIL, like the job information list. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not an academia joke, is it? I don't think so. God, I hope not. Yeah. Let's, let's. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would hope to never find out. But yeah. yeah, okay, sorry. So slowly repeating the number of so yeah, crumbling. Yeah. What sorry? What were you saying? Crumbling bureaucracies or, or sort or of or just like um, waning waning infrastructure, right? Like waning people don't have jobs, but at least they have job info lines. 
Um, right. And at least they can just like hang in there. Right. Right. This, this kind of affective portrait of a government is connected to, for me to like the Bureau of Santa Eddings has, has closed. Right. right. There's like this, this hint, however surreal at some kind of like yeah. infrastructure, but it's not intact. Yeah. And, um, and, and both PK and Tammy, um, are, are sort of like have been, I don't want to say institutionalized, but like bureaucratized mm. or something, right? Like, yeah, yeah. He's in the precinct house. He's getting one. So he's been arrested or whatever. Right. Right. Um, and she's got a caseworker. Right. So like they're both being kind of managed or subsumed by these sorts of bureaucratic um, offices. Um, and they're and they're subsumed by these lines that again like <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of continue to circulate right the words mm-hmm. have been running through her head employees must wash hands before returning to work um mm. kept repeating and the sky looked dead um you know so again we have this like this person contemplating this phrase that is used in commercial spaces to de- um, to depersonalize the, to depersonalize the people who work in them right like right. get rid of your germs before you re-enter like the you know the commerce that we conduct right. <laughs> or whatever right 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 yeah. yeah and so for me that line even though it's not the last line of the section of the third section it's mm-hmm. connected um to you know the, the other it works, I think, as a kind of aphorism, or at least it yeah. works as an aphorism for Tammy. And I think we're meant to 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 sort of sympathize with Tammy. Um, yeah. So I, I think that the poem wants to kind of think about it as a kind of aphorism or a potential aphorism, yeah. even if it's not, you know. Yeah, or like a like a failed one, like a yeah, yeah. right, you know, in her yeah. contemplation of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I sympathize with Tammy. She, yeah, I love her. <laughs> also, like Tammy is just like I yeah. like I know. Let's think about names here for a second. Yeah. I mean, I I was talking about this poem with a friend who visited this weekend, and she was like, "What's great about Tammy is that Tammy is not like Ulysses, you right. know? Tammy isn't Proofrock, although there are, right. there's a nod, possible nod at the end of this poem to Proofrock, which you can, uh-huh. can maybe get to, but like." Uh-huh. There's nothing allegorical about Tammy, right? And thank yeah. God, um, yeah. she. Yeah. But I, I know, I know who Tammy is. Like I totally yeah. have met Tammy, you know. Well, and maybe this um, is one of the. Maybe it's one of the more trivial ways, but this is one of the ways in which, like, the poetry seems continuous with the songs. That it's you know, it's the sort of Americana kind of. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, I don't know what more to say about it than that. I don't know what to do with PK. Do you have any feelings about PK as a, I, as a name? I don't know. No. I, it, you know, initials are, yeah. are for me like a a class. I mean, Tammy sounds like a working class name to me. Right, right. Um, in America, anyway, PK right. initials often to me do, do as well. I've never known right. someone um, with the name PK, but no. I think there's like, Again, like this kind of world building that happens with these right. little details right. that is important to the poem. Um, right. and, and again, like it's it's important that, you know, Tammy isn't this sort of 
allegorical or like right. mythological figure, right? She's right. she's installed in this world. Um, yeah. And you know, so so we're through three of the four sections. Yeah. I mean, not that we've obviously not that we've said, you know, I just mean that's where we we are in our conversation. And um, and and I'm looking at the fourth section and remembering now, like it actually feels to me like it's um, full of like the aphoristic mode Um, and maybe also sort of not surprisingly in relation to that, or even as like a consequence of it in some sense that, um, the, the narrative kind of falls away. We don't get, um, I don't think, um, Tammy or PK or for that matter, the I or the wife, again, we get instead a kind of scene, a new character introduced a sailor, Um, and then these, they do feel allegorical. And I know the Elliot line, I think you have in mind, the virgins in tennis shoes, Mm -hmm. you know, that sound like the mermaids in proof rock maybe. Right. Um, um, singing. And the sea at the end. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Is, is, uh, to me, I mean, it's weird. I don't know, but like uh, Berman read, Berman knows Elliot. um, Oh, of course. And, and, um, and so the drowning bit. Till human end of voices proof rock. wake us and we drown. Yeah. Um, I've always um, thought of proof rock as a song that uh, I just Freudian slipped there, as, <laughs> but, but it's actually what I was going to say as like, it, um, well, it, it, it sort of, there's a way of reading that poem as, as a kind of like proto um, folk song or some, or like pop. Yeah. I don't know, like a rock song of a particular kind that like, yeah. I mean, obviously that's getting the influence backwards but like it that it was i think it it must have been important and i don't just mean like i mean in terms of its style uh, or like it's you know some of its content but also like the stuff like the kind of characters the little scenes in it it's way of rhyming you know yeah um but but sorry so let's not talk about proof rock right now i mean what i want to ask you sarah is like structurally speaking Mm-hmm. You know, we've 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 been working our way through this poem, and then we get this final section that feels different from the earlier three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, how do you understand its its place in the poem structure, or like, what kind of ending is this for you? It's um, so again, we get. Uh, it's disorienting for me. Um, and I can try to describe that sense mm-hmm. of disorientation. Yeah, we get, please. we start with a hyper-specific image of hedges formed the long limousine, a Tampa sky could die behind. Then we get this image of the sailor who's <laughs> eating a bell, you know, looking at his reflection in a bell pepper, not an apple. Right. Like, but right. again, we get an expectation that he might be holding an apple, like a shiny apple, but no, it's a bell pepper. Um, yeah, and then the rest of it, you're right, is all um, these detached lines. So you know the the mouthwash thing. Um, it's a great he, description. He had mouthwash. <laughs> At the end, it could still feel the ice blue carbon pinwheel spinning in his mouth. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but in the '90s, there were commercials for mouthwash and toothpaste that like 
showed little pinwheels uh, like working uh, yeah. like animations yeah. of pinwheels working yeah. Yeah. so it's like we're we're no longer in the realm of the real we're back into the or the mundane let's say or the you know lukewarm surrealism that we've been getting in tampa or wherever now we're in this hyper commodified right right so, the world of Salmonex, right like now yeah. we're on Salmonex or something well, i don't oh, know yeah 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 and and it's it's a kind of um commodity mouthwash especially i guess if you're conceiving of it and thank you for reminding me about the commercials which now i think i'm like vaguely remembering yeah um yeah. um uh it's a commodity that you're like ingesting or in the case of mouthwash not quite actually i mean salmonex i guess you'd ingest mouthwash you like take in and spit out um which which is um also i don't know to me that feels like an emblematic way of um relating to the world maybe for mm. um or to the commodification of the world for for berman like to yeah to be aware of and um to take in a kind of um mass produced um object or culture or whatever but then yeah. also to be able to to kind of spit it out and to be dealing with like the lingering kind of aftertaste of it yeah, and I think there is this struggle, like at, in terms of the the like. So we instead of these chunks of narrative, we get so we've left the narrative world behind. Now we get these couplets that then by the end are just single lines. So we're we're entering yeah, the world yeah. of of the commercial again. We're entering the world of the detachable, but there's this like, for me anyway, this sort of battle between the mouthwash pinwheel image and like you know, the next stanza, there were new, no way, there were no new ways to understand the world, only new days to set our understandings against. Again, a very like pithy mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of portable mm -hmm. set of lines, but then we're back to versions and tennis shoes, a, a sort of, you know, yeah, a proof rock kind of image, um, their hair shining like videotape. Um, that too. to me, I can picture it. I like can I can picture, picture the, the commercial, the sheen, right. Of yes. the like, of the, the VHS light. tape or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And also the women in commercials who have super yeah. shiny hair. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, we seem to be sort of like toggling between or struggling between um, the pithy on the one hand and the commercial on the other. And, and maybe, I don't know, well, maybe well, the, yeah, yeah please, Sorry, please. I was, I was just going to say the penultimate line seems to be about the problem we're having in a way. Yeah. And maybe the new ways to understand the world, only new days to set our understandings against also does it. Each page was a new chance to understand the last. Um, and if you took out the word page and you subbed in line or something like that, um, you know, maybe we're, we're hearing something here about how things get understood in relation to each other or how we, sort of move through a kind of serial form and form a kind of retrospective understanding of where we've been. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but you were going to say something else. Maybe. No, no, no. I think that's right. I also think that like there's this uneasiness. And again, Andrew's essay in our cluster is so good at describing like uh, this is a kind of continuous problem for Berman. I think it's right. like, like being like being able to write these really catchy lines, whether in songs or in poems, 
And also knowing that those, those, you know, those aphorisms, those catchy lines can be evacuated of meaning, could be used to sell sleeping pills or any Mm -hmm. number of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think like to, to me, I mean, by the end, we don't land on the commercial language. We land on something more poetic if we, I mean, I don't know if we can call Mm -hmm. it, make that distinction, but um, Mm -hmm. it, sure. It still seems unresolved to me, right? Like how to sort of think about these two very different kinds of, on the one hand, you know, employees must wash hands before returning to work sort of like idioms. And then on the other, like, um, each page, each page, which was a new chance to understand the last, like, I don't know if those two, um, kinds of language, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually want to hear from you, like, (laughs) like they can be reconciled because for me, I, I I also, by the way, just quickly like pick this poem because I don't know how to read the ending. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's always Um, a good, and I do, and I do know how to like, I, I have a sense of, of, much of his other work but i this one always puzzles me so yeah um yeah well i mean um i i mean i i feel in a way like i keep um offering versions of the same insight here which i can't tell is that um making me think i'm right or sort of worryingly placing me in a kind of (laughs) loop of some kind but it seems to me like the problem that we feel ourselves confronting at the end of the poem is that like, we're feeling a little stupid, (laughs) you know, like we're, you know, um, and, 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 you know, somehow the sea was always there to make you feel stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also at the end of the poem, I find myself thinking back to the title of the poem. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think I said early on, like, well, it feels like it's a, you know, like a red herring or whatever. It's, it's like a joke. It's like a throwaway title. Um, you know, maybe there's a way in which it's like a, a, a meaningfully ironic title. You know, it's a poem called governor, uh, let's set aside the ensemble next part for a moment, though, obviously mm-hmm. that's important, but it's a, you know, the title of the poem suggests that the poem is going to be about in some way governors it seems to be about the governed rather mm-hmm. right um and about the governed sort of negotiating or navigating their experience of being governed um mm-hmm. in one way or another mm-hmm. um on Samanex suggests and i think this is more um clearly borne out in the poem so like i keep like i'm I'm like trying to get a running start to the ending here but like suggests you know these people are like um you know you take somonex because you're having insomnia right um or or maybe just because you're not maybe not because you're having insomnia but maybe just because you know you want to go to sleep you know in Mm -hmm. a kind of narcotic way or something Mm -hmm. um so um it 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 seems like a kind of um i mean not to offer a really trite um kind of language here but a, like a kind of self-medicating or a kind of self-soothing mm-hmm. or a desire like the, the the poem is coming from a place where that feels needed and required mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um 
it, it seems to be a poem about like um, that that's capturing something of the kind of difficulty of of being in the world, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and and maybe the um, the various kinds of here's a line, here's another line, here's another line are instances <laughs> of you know the reader or the and or the poet sort of confronting the kind mm. of unsatisfying you know in the way that when if you can't get sleep you feel like you know your body's needs have not been restored to a kind of equilibrium state that you're like mm-hmm. always feeling kind of behind mm-hmm. um and i guess maybe the you know what i guess what i'm trying to say here is maybe at the end the poem is sort of making us feel that way a little bit I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. And I also, as you were talking, I just occurred to me that like, (laughs) you know, again, a sort of meta thing about the last line is Mm -hmm. I I always was thrown by the C part of it. Yeah. But now I'm like, why is the last line, what last word stupid? And it's interesting to me that in a poem full of what are clearly like, like framed as, aphorisms like little bits of wisdom right right, right? we right. end with a kind of like humility stupidity a kind yeah. of humility a something else yeah um that doesn't that feels that feels like a relief it feels like a break yeah. right from yeah. the like headiness of ah uh-huh. These lines that circulate and these drugs that circulate and <laughs> yeah. this waning bureaucracy, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and 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 in a way, like the um like the souvenirs line, are, yeah. I, I don't know if the, are those the only places where we get the um the second person pronoun, the you, you know. Souvenirs only reminded you of violence. Uh, he was always there to make you feel stupid. Yeah. Um, I, I mean it's right. not it's not somehow the sea was always there to make us feel stupid. Or them right. feel stupid, which you know, like would have made just as much sense as the you. But the 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 fact that it's rendered here as a you, um, I I think does have something of that. Like, uh, you know, part of what's so interesting to me about this poem, Sarah, and about Berman's kind of style more generally, is the way that it's sort of personal and impersonal at once. You know, yeah. so so like I take the. Um, the phone, you know, the phoning in the the song request rather than calling the woman as a kind of paradigmatic instance of that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but that's also like a way of relating to us. It seems to me for Berman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, what a great conversation this has been. <laughs> um, I, I would really appreciate the chance to hear the poem one more time. And I wonder, Sarah, if I could ask you to to read it this time. Absolutely. It had been four days of no weather, as if nature had conceded its genius to the indoors. They had closed down the Bureau of Sad Endings, and my wife sat on the couch and read the paper out loud. The evening edition carried the magic death of a child backlit by a construction site sunrise on its front page. I kept my back to her and fingered the items on the mantel. Souvenirs only reminded you of buying them. The moon hung over the boarded up hobby shop. 
PK was in the precinct house using his one phone call to dedicate a song to Tammy, for she was the light by which he traveled into this and that. And out in the city, out in the wide readership, his younger brother was kicking an ice bucket in the woods behind the Marriott. His younger brother, who was missing that part of his brain that allows you to make out with your pillow. Poor kid. It was the light in things that made them last. Tammy called her caseworker from a closed gas station to relay uh, ideas unaligned with the world we loved. The tall grass bent in the wind like tachometer needles, and he told her to hang in there, slowly repeating the number of the job info line. She hung up and glared at the Killbuck sweet shop, the words that had been running through her head. Employees must, must wash hands before returning to work, kept repeating, and the sky looked dead. Hedges formed the long limousine a, a Tampa sky could die behind. A sailor stood on the wharf with a clipper ship reflected on the skin of the bell pepper he held. He'd had mouthwash at the inn and could still feel the ice blue carbon pinwheels spinning in his mouth. There were no new ways to understand the world, only new days to set our understandings against. Through the lanes came versions in tennis shoes, their hair shining like videotape, singing us into a kind of sleep we hadn't tried yet. Each page was a new chance to understand the last, and somehow the sea was always there to make you feel stupid. Hmm. Well, Sarah Osment, thank you so much for the conversation. I, I've really loved it. Yeah, thank you. This is like the, the most fun I've had in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, thank you so much. This is great. Yeah, oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you, um, listeners, for um, hanging out with us for the last hour and a half. Um, maybe um, once you're done with this episode, put on a, a Silver Jews album and um and let us know what you think i'll have um i'll have a another episode for you soon but until then be well everyone bye